Hello and welcome to Trails Worth Hiking, the show that brings you some of the most interesting backpacking and trekking routes in the world. I'm your host, Jeremy Pendry. This is a bonus episode. Uh, really, it's going to be a prequel because our next episode is going to be about the Manaslu and Tum Valley hike in Nepal. And so this episode is going to get us ready for that one. So a little background on this episode. In 2017, our family, along with another family, went trekking in the Alps in Europe. Up until then, I had mostly hiked in California, plus some other hiking in the West Coast, primarily of the United States, at least for backpacking trips. I had never trekked overseas up until 2017. I came back from that trip really excited to explore other great mountain ranges of the world. And eventually in 2019, my family went to South America, to Ecuador, and we did a trek in the Andes, the Kilo Toa Loop. That's episode three, if you want to check out uh, a full discussion of that hike that I had with my son. It's also an interesting episode because my son and I talked a lot about just traveling in Ecuador beyond the hike itself and some of the cultural aspects of being there. So if you're interested in hearing about that South American adventure, that's episode three. In any event, you can't talk about hiking the great mountain ranges of the world without talking about the Himalayas. And so I started thinking about how it would be possible for me to go trekking in the Himalayas. But this wasn't a completely random idea. I had a friend who had hiked in the Himalayas twice. And I was thinking, how do I plan a trip like that? And so I reached out to my friend, and she put me in touch with today's guest. She put me in touch with Rajan Simkata of Earthbound Expeditions, a trekking company in Nepal. And really, Rajan took it from there. I had done just enough basic research to figure out which trek I wanted to do. And that's the Manaslu circuit and Tum Valley, which is sort of an out and back offshoot of that circuit. And so I reached out to Rajan and he was super helpful in setting up the trek that my friend Tony Wong and I did together. And as I said, our next episode is going to be about that trek. But I thought that to put you in the right frame of mind, to help you understand what it entails to trek in the Himalayas, we should have a discussion just about what trekking is like there. And for that, I've asked Rajan Simkata to come on the show, and he agreed. And so on this episode, you will hear my conversation with Rajan about the trekking industry in Nepal, the, the mountains of Nepal, and really lots of great advice on just what to be thinking about if you want to undertake a trip like that and what to expect. For those of you that don't know much about Nepal, one thing that's important to understand is that a large percentage of the Himalayas are in Nepal. As a result, if you want to hike in the Himalayas, Nepal is really one of the best places to go. And it has a pretty strong infrastructure for the trekking industry so that it makes it quite easy to do treks there. And there are many established routes there. Rajan explains all of that and a lot more in our conversation. So at this point, without further ado, let's jump into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rajan Simkata of Earthbound Expeditions.
Rajan Simkata, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on the show. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for having me in the show. So Rajan, you have a really interesting background. How did you get into the trekking industry? Well, Nepal is world famous for the mountain, as you know. And my original home, I live in Kathmandu, the capital city of Kathmandu now. But my original home is 125 kilometers north of Kathmandu, which is very close to a beautiful mountain called Ganesh Himal. So I was born and raised there. And I could see every day just from outside my home, there was a huge rock, you know, very close to my home. And when I go to the top of that rock, I could see the Ganesh Himal mountain every day signing in the morning, in the afternoon and in the evening. So that draw me very, very strongly, I believe, towards the mountain. And although that mountain was not very famous for the trekking, some people would go for the camping trekking and some people would also go for the climbing. A lot of Japanese have climbed that mountain. And when the trekking guides, the trekking porters and the trekkers pass by, that fascinates me, you know, and then we would go. Sometimes they would camp near our school ground or our health post ground, you know, wherever there is a beautiful place, they would camp near the water, you know, near a beautiful viewpoint. And then we would go run and see their camps, beautiful tents, you know, uh, interesting, uh, you know, characters like tall, big guys, you know, this is, of course, the tourist, you know, and then uh, they talk differently and the cooks and the, you know, assistants working and cooks cooking different foods, different smell. So that fascinates me. And the guide is speaking English with the tourist. So, you know, maybe on the back of my head, uh, you know, I was always thinking, oh, maybe I could become a guide someday. I could lead these trekkers someday to the mountain. So I think that is how it got into my mind. But then you moved to Kathmandu at a fairly young age, but your first work in Kathmandu wasn't in trekking. It was in, was it also, was it in television and acting or some of the first work? Yeah, well, you know, in the mountain, Nepal's many mountains still does not have the high school. So my village also did not have the high school that time. So I had to come to some other places or go to Kathmandu for my higher education. So I decided at the young age of just 14 years to move to Kathmandu all by myself, you know, renting the room, going to the school, cooking and washing and everything by myself because I had to leave my family in the mountain. So I decided to move to Kathmandu to, to go to the high school. Then once I finished the high school, you know, because we were not uh, from a, you know, well-to-do family or high-end family or anything. It was a middle-class Nepalese family. So, of course, I had to support my education by working, uh, which is many people do. So I started working. But first, my work was, of course, in the trekking industry, not in the, uh, I mean, in the tourism industry, not in trekking industry. I started in 1994 as a hotel receptionist. Because since I was studying in, in Kathmandu, my English was fairly better than the other general people of my age. And then, like you said, of course, I had interest on stand-up comedy uh, since I was in high school. I was already a popular guy in high school. You know, I, I would imitate, I would copy the voices of different leaders or different uh, television or news anchors, you know, that sort of thing, and make a comedy or fun because I think life does not have to be too serious. We can still have a fun. <laughs> That's great. How long did how long did you do that for? 
Well, in the school, I was a popular guy. Everybody would call me for jokes or any any other sort of, uh, you know, uh, any other sort of uh, activities uh, when there was happening mm-hmm. in the school, like a school yearly function or something like that. And then once I started my higher education, you know, after we have a label in, in Nepal called the SLC, means School Living Certificate, which is 10 class plus. After that, you go to the we call them, you know, college. It's called plus two right now, plus two, 10 plus two, you know, the class. So it's called the intermediate level. So when I started joining to the intermediate level, then at the same time as I have a better access, I start going to the Radio Nepal, which was a famous Nepal, you know, radio in Nepal. I start going to the Nepal television. The, those uh, first struggling days were very hard. But that fascinates me because when I go to the stage or when I talk to the people, I love that because I'm a very outgoing personality. I, I love that. So I start doing that. But of course, my career was into the tourism because I had to make money. Those time, even today, television or radio does not have a lot of money in Nepal because our industry is very small. So after you did that, you actually got into the trekking industry, but you didn't own a business right away. You started out as a porter and a guide, right? True. How did that happen? True. In 1994, actually, before I joined into the uh, as a as a hotel receptionist, I did two, three times as a trekking porter. I worked as a trekking porter. Somebody was leading the trip, but I was carrying the bag, you know, looking at the trials and things like that. So that was basically to learn the nitty gritty, how it operates, how it works. Uh, because everybody have to start, you know, nobody have a lift. Everybody have to go from steps by steps, you know. Nobody climb high without going through the steps. So that is how I started doing because carrying the load or, you know, being a porter wasn't very difficult for me. Although I was very little that time. I was not grown up like today. I was a little <laughs> in my in my physical body also. <laughs> so, you know, carrying like 25, 30 kilo and going up and down in the mountain wasn't very easy, but that was the best way for me to learn how I can really serve the people or what is people's need. So it was easy for me to understand. And then after doing that for a while, then I was promoted into the guide, trekking guide. So I did with other company uh, about three years as as a guiding. And I was a pretty good guide that time. I mean, they were recognizing maybe 25, 30 guides working. I was one of the best guides that time in that company. And then in 1999, together with some other friend and help with some of the international trekker, I started my own company at a very young age, actually. And so that's Earthbound Expeditions, which um, I can highly recommend to all people who want to go trekking. I, I used your company when I went to Nepal, and you, did, you guys did a fantastic job in organizing a great trek for me and for my friend Tony. Thank you. What kind of treks does Earthbound Expeditions offer? What is their, What are the sort of main kinds of activities people can do with your company? Well, when I was trekking in the trekking industry, sometimes what I realized that time when in 1999 that, you know, Nepal's trekking industry is a very, very unique because it's our own own industry, we can say. Uh, Nepal is famous. People want to see the mountains. But somehow I was, uh, you know, having a when I was working, I feel that uh, the guides are not that competent or professionalism was lacking so we decided or oh, maybe we can 
uh, open a company which is very ethical, very professional, work with the sustainability, you know, how we can be sustainable, we can be a very eco-friendly, uh, that sort of thing. The, the concept was that and the whole idea was giving the best experience for the people when they come to Nepal. Because every, I think everybody is striking for the best experience. So we try to hire all the local guides, train them and, uh, you know, make them very competent, uh, friendly, a very serving nature, that sort of, uh, you know, we, we team up with that mindset of people and then try to give the best what we can uh, when people are traveling in Nepal. And you offer pretty much all of the treks that anyone would ever want to do in Nepal. But you also offer treks in Bhutan, in India, and Tibet, right? Yes. We started from Nepal. And of course, Nepal being a very popular trekking destination, when people start visiting Nepal and doing trips with us, then they start asking that, can we go Bhutan with you? Or can we organize a trip to Tibet with you? Or can we have a, some, some sort of trip in India? So we thought, okay, let's partner with the like-minded people in, in those countries and let's start serving our customer in those countries as well. So that is how we started. And now, yes, we do offer now actually more than like eight countries tour around the world, including Peru, uh, you know, of course, Nepal, Tibet, Bhutan, India, other South Asian country also we offer. If people ask us to organize trips in those countries, we do offer, yes. And one of the things that I've noticed about your business is you also are involved with other parts of the tourist industry. For example, the Tamil Echo Resort, where, where I stayed when I came to Nepal, is a hotel that you're affiliated with. And I thought that was just a great location right in the middle of Tamil and also a nice little um, quiet enclave behind a busy street. So it's a perfect retreat from the busy street. Mm. And then you also have yoga centers and a, a beach resort for river rafting, it seems like. Can you talk a little bit about these other parts of your, your businesses that serve the tourist industry? When we start serving to the people, then uh, we realize that maybe there are other aspects that we can do, uh, you know, togetherly good. And people were also like the boutique hotel or eco-friendly hotels were in demand also. People want to stay in some places where all the materials are from Nepal, manpower are from Nepal, you know, not a, a international chain hotels or something like that. So we thought maybe a small cozy place where all our trekkers can stay and enjoy and feel homely. You know, after come back from the trek, they feel like coming back to home. Uh, train our staff in a such a way that they always welcome and give a personal touch to the people who are missing home or missing um, their families or things like that. So that is how the Tamil Eco Resort started. And Nepal is a very spiritually strong place, as you probably have realized in your trek also, especially in Manaslu, in Chambali, you know, it's very highly, all, all of the Himalayas are very spiritual, very big power centers, you know, it have energy. So Nepal is famous for yoga because since ancient time, all the yogis, all the saints and gurus and masters, if you look at all, our, the, all of their stories or histories, many of them have been to Himalayas or they have grown or they have, you know, got their enlightenment or all their yoga practices all around the Himalayas, if you look at that. So I thought, okay, Nepal is a very fertile land for spirituality and yoga and, and healing tourism or well-being uh, tourism. So let me start the yoga retreat because that was in demand, which is doing very fine now. We produce a lot of uh, international yoga teachers. A lot of people come for retreats. 
multiple days courses they also combine with the with the massage or some hiking you know that sort of thing so yoga retreat we started and nepal also a center for the adventure tourism and a lot of people also do rafting we have over 6000 rivers and five or six of the, our rivers nepal's rivers are the best in the world for rafting activities and trisuli river is one of the famous and kind of easy rafting for all sort of people even for the families or you know uh, 50 plus people all sort of adventure lovers so and this is also good because it's on the way to chitwan on the way to pokhara which is two famous uh, touristic town in nepal so we used to do the rafting and then have a like a tented camp you know for the trekkers but later what we realize is that that those were not very comfortable because people can't sour properly because when they go to the rafting then they have sand they have water everything in their body so we thought okay maybe we we upgrade a little bit and make a small resort where they can have a sour maybe a swimming and also kind of a relaxed chill after the rafting so that is how we start the Uh, riverfront beach resort in trisuli which is on the way to pokhara or chitwan and you know re- recently i started because the covid uh, affected nepal's tourism also recently i also have started a farm house very close to kathmandu where people can go and stay multiple days and if they want they can also do like involve in farming or just to chill or eat organic food or vegetables that is grown there so that is also another segment of tourism now i'm very much involved in one of the things i also noticed about your businesses is that even though you have all these great businesses in the tourist industry you're also putting a lot of your efforts into charity and philanthropy can you talk a little bit about the work you've been doing to help build schools and other things in in nepal Well, you know, I come from a very very humble background in the sense that, you know, I was grown grown up in the mountains. Not all young people or not all talented people got the opportunity or uh, you know, they they don't get the opportunity to go to the high schools or go further in their life. So what I think is that the young children's or the youths are the power of any nation. because they are tomorrow they are future if we can teach our children better if we can teach our youth better uh, then they will take care of the world better the the world will be a better place to live tomorrow that they will save the earth because we have a responsibility to make this place better together and i know not having education or the importance of the education because of that i moved to kathmandu for higher education you know that sort of thing so we decided certain percent of our profit although the margin in nepal's tourism industry right now is not very high pretty low margin sure. because the competition is very high you know this is around the world i believe <laughs> uh, but anyway uh, the certain percent of our profit we wanted to give back to the community we work in so like the guides or porters who who are coming from those villages we have been helping in their villages their children's education you know we have been providing the scholarship we have been also building the libraries uh, we have been organizing the health camps especially you know for the i i camps or gyno gyno problems the gynecol uh, you know gynecology or urologist we we invite many of the doctors and then work with them to organize the health camps and after the earthquake many of the classrooms in 
you know, uh, in 2015, we had an earthquake in Nepal. So mm-hmm. after the earthquake, many of the classrooms in the mountains were demolished because they, they were finished. They were gone because they were not built properly or they were too old. So out of many classrooms, we have built 152 classrooms after the earthquake. For that, we organized some charity tricks. We raised some funds. Uh, we worked with uh, some international volunteer organizations, people who wanted to help. We bring them together and together we went and we did volunteering. You know, they, they worked uh, in the building schools or classrooms. They also funded some money. So the whole idea is to educate the children, to, to bring the children into the stage where they can perform better. And that is good for themselves, for their community. Because if they become a doctor or engineer or pilot or or any other good sort human being through the education, then it is good for the society, for the nation, and of course, for the universe. That's great to hear. So I want to turn now to trekking in Nepal. And so a lot of listeners to the show, maybe they've gone hiking in a lot of places wherever they live, but maybe they've never been to Nepal. Okay. Why should somebody think about going trekking in Nepal? What's special about trekking in Nepal? Well, Nepal is a special country in terms of the mountains, because if you look at the whole range of the mountain, about 1400 kilometers from Afghanistan, Hindukus mountain, to all the way to Burma, to, to Myanmar. If you look at all the mountain ranges, out of 1400 kilometers, around uh, almost 700, 50% of the mountains are in Nepal. So Nepal have eight Mountains that are over 8,000 meters, including the highest mountain on earth, the Mount Everest. So, of course, Nepal's mountains are very diverse, very beautiful. The trekking trails are such beautiful uh, trails that every corner, every few hours walk, you go to a different view, different valley opens up, different culture, different people speaking different dialects. Because Nepal is very diverse. You probably have noticed, even in your trek to Manaslu, in those 16, 17 days, you probably have 15, 17 different, uh, you know, viewpoints, different ethnic groups that you talk to, or uh, it's, it's very diverse and it's very rewarding, very beautiful. So that is, I think, one of the reasons that people will choose to come to Nepal, not only to see the high mountain, but also to see the diverse landscape, the visitation, uh, the views, and of course, the people. Yeah, the, you're right about the people and the cultures. It's amazing to see how diverse Nepal is. I was very surprised by that. Uh-huh. And you, like you said, you go from one village to another village, and maybe it's a different dialect. Or as you get higher up, you go from certain people to then maybe Tibetan people who are so you're saying namaste when you meet somebody yeah. at lower elevations, yeah. but then you say tashi delay when you get to higher elevations because they speak a different language. Right. Um, and to me, that was just really wonderful to see that they have all these local cultures that have been preserved for so long. Yeah. Why should somebody work with a trekking company? You know, a lot of people might come from a place where if they want to go hiking or backpacking or trekking, they just drive to a place and they go hiking. Um, why is it important in Nepal, do you think, to work with a company like Earthbound Expeditions? Well, yeah, it's a very good question. I will say at least three, four different points that why should you use the local companies or trekking companies? The first thing is that, of course, the safety. The local companies or or the trekking companies or travel companies know 
the local manpowers which are from that area or at least have been to that area so they know the trials they know the rules and regulation they know where the trial is difficult where the trial is easy where the big drops are you know where it is difficult so so they will be always looking for your safety so this is for the safety reason you should hire the travel or trekking company the second thing is that of course it is good to experience the related country through their eyes you know like they say that when you go to the rome become like a romance or whatever you yes. know so when you are in nepal if you use the local guides local porters or local agency then your experience will be very authentic you are helping them to create the job giving them the opportunities while you are safely traveling worryless you know you don't have to worry where you sleep tonight or what you eat today they will plan for you and of course the planning will be in a such a way that it is very professional so you don't have to worry about that and not only that by giving the job to the locals you also giving a lot of opportunities for the youth of nepal to get involved in the trekking industry like me i was a trekking guide or tour guide some day but today together with all other ventures i employ more than 170 people in different fields so uh, you know you are giving back to the community not directly but through the local agents or uh, like companies like us who really want to give back to the society the portion of our profits uh, you know we are not working for only profit we are passionately working for your well-being and safety and some people have a misconception that oh if we use the local company or or the travel company or the trekking company it might be expensive at the end i don't think it is one thing is that your safety is the first so if you are not safe um or if you lose your life or lose your finger or lose your something on the trail then uh, what is value of that you know so if you use the local company the chances are rare or none that you know you will come back safely and happily so your safety is first priority it's not expensive second thing is that nepal is famous as a backpackers destination but we do have like every year 20 30 or even 40 people missing in the mountain or they lost their life or they are missing gone somewhere in the avalanches or in the mountains or so uh, for us also it is it is sad you know if we if we see that because we working in the trekking industry in tourism industry and if we find that people are not safe in our mountain it is bad for nepal's trekking tourism industry they think that it is because of nepalese people or nepalese mismanagement that it is happening but sometimes it is not us you know the trekkers choice is to go alone and they get lost and that sort of thing so for safety reason also they choose the choose the company and it's not expensive it is professional they get better experience for all this reason i think it is best to use the trekking companies Now that you've convinced our listeners to use a trekking company, how do they decide which trekking company to use? What are some of the things they should be thinking about to help make that decision? There's so many trekking companies in Nepal. That is absolutely true and in many cases is very confusing for you or for anybody <laughs> who want to trek in Nepal's mountain because the prices are very much different, uh, the trek packages or tour packages are very much different. Uh, they all say the same thing you know that sort of thing so there are a couple of factors that i think you should consider before you choose a good trekking company the first thing maybe you should choose is that you know how old are they what are their experiences and then 
The other factor is that maybe you should look at their TripAdvisor reviews or Trustpilot or any other reviews if they are recommended by any international newspapers or guidebooks, you know, Lonely Planet and all these other guidebooks, the recommendation. And maybe you should also start asking some of your friends or families if they have been with them because the recommendations are the best part because your experience counts a lot. And then also maybe you should consider that if they are practicing the ethical business practice or not. Sometimes people offer cheap packages, but, you know, they caught corners. The, uh, you know, when you are really into the ground, then you may not get the support or the services that you're supposed to receive. So you might find $100 cheaper or $50 cheaper, but they may not worth at the end because your experience will be different. Uh, their guide may not speak the good English or they may not be trained. You know, that kind of thing sometimes may happen, although Nepal government also regulate them. And then also, if you are really caring about the universe that you are traveling or really caring about the places that you are trekking into, then see if they are involved in some of the charity works or if they have done some of the charity works how many years experience they have, that sort of thing also will will count. And then, of course, then you compare the prices. And if it is reasonable, then you go for it. I think that is that is how you should, uh, you should uh, consider three, four points. You know, the safety point, the experience, and then, and then the reviews and the price. And then, of course, the authenticity, how, how beautifully they are serving the community or the country or the tourist. So for me, when I came to Nepal, this was the first time I'd ever trekked with a guide and a porter. Yeah. What should people think about, about that experience? What should they know about before they go and they work with a guide and a porter? Are there things they should know about how that should work or how that relationship should work or just how to behave in that environment? For me, it was totally new and it worked just fine because Hari is a wonderful guide and Podum was a fantastic porter. And so I had a very good experience, but it was something where I w it took me a few days to figure out kind of how that was supposed to work. So I'm curious if you have any advice for people who've never worked with a guide or a porter before. Well, in general, all Nepalese people are very friendly and honest. You know, there, there are some few exceptions, but in general, they are trustworthy, friendly, you know, honest people. With us, with Earthbound Expeditions, we try to choose a team of people who are very willing to serve, always smiling, uh, you know, uh, very honest, and then, of course, trained in their field. As far as possible, if possible, even we try to bring the people from that region. For example, for the Everest trekking, people from the Everest region. For the Manaslu, people from the Manaslu region. Even Hari was very close to, close from the Manaslu region. Uh, for Annapurna, you know, all of the reasons, local, authentic experience, to give the local authentic experience, we try to bring that. But if people are choosing a guide or the, the porter to bring along with the track, yeah, again, there comes like the experience, the reviews, uh, whom they work with, how many years experience, you know, and then maybe even ask for a personal references, you know, if they have worked with some, some other trekkers or, or group of people. So that way you are sure to get a good guide or the porter on the trail. Sometimes you are right. Sometimes not having a good guide or a porter on the trail can give you stress. Uh, you know, the experience could be different. I have seen that a couple of times on the trek. Sometimes even when I was guiding, it happened that some of the other trekkers from the different group jump into my team rather than following their guide or porter. Sometimes that even happened. 
So one of the things that people never know what to do on a new kind of adventure is what kind of gear to bring. And I'm wondering, you've probably seen all kinds of crazy things over the years of people bringing too much gear or the wrong gear or you know, the wrong clothing, the wrong sleeping bags. Are there any good tips or advice you have for people about how to prepare with the right gear and the right clothing for this kind of trip? You know, if we search these days, these days it's becoming very easy. If we search in, in Google or Yahoo or any other search sites, if you look at the gears or trekking gears for Nepal or things like that, many videos or many suggestions you will find there as well. But if you are already a good trekker or hiker already in, in the US or any other country around the world, you probably already know what size of boot or shoes fits your you because shoes is number one. It's very, very important sure. that you have a very comfortable shoes and the socks. And then, of course, for the gears, multi-layering gears are good, which is called the onions because we, we have a multi multiple layer when we start. And then as we go, if we start feeling hot, then we start taking off the cloths. Uh, it is good if the, those are breathable. Then, you know, Nepal is also producing a lot of trekking gears and goods nowadays. So even if people do not have a good gears at home, then they can purchase or hire in Nepal. Uh, we have many, many North Face and North Fake <laughs> shops here in, <laughs> in Kathmandu. Can I ask you, how do you tell the difference? Uh, there were so many gear, there's so many trekking outfitting stores in Kathmandu and Tamil. How do you know the fake stuff from the real stuff? Well, of course, the North Face and other like Black Egg or any other uh, good gear shops there, they have their own authentic shop. And many of them are imitated, you know, like Nepalese or, or many uh, any other business people, maybe even Chinese. Some of them are imitated or copied some of the gears from those big companies. Uh, the quality may not be the same. So for the for one or two trekking, for the lower trekking, not for the expedition, for the lower trekking, I think those even those fake gears or or the normal gears available in the market should work fine i use the same all the time but coming to the point that how people choose the the list of the gears they should bring actually when they are booked the trip with us or when we, they are talking to us about the list of things they should bring actually we do send people a list of things that they should bring with them so they will bring the list of things they already have. And some people, if they do not have some gears at home or ready or they cannot buy or find there, then it's easily available in Nepal when they come. So the trekking shoes is a must that is better to bring from home because that is the shoes that you are already comfortable. It's already broke. It's already, you know, good in your feet. But the rest of the other, other gears we can also find here. Okay, that's good to hear. And yeah, you know, one thing I would say is what you just mentioned is important that if you have questions, you you answered a lot of questions that Tony and I had by email about the kind of gear to bring. And so by the time we arrived in Nepal, we had all the gear that we needed. We brought the right gear and it worked out just fine. Wonderful. But you were very helpful in helping us uh, figure that out because we had never done this kind of hike before. And one of the other things that was interesting for us that was new was staying in guest houses or what we would call tea houses. Mm. You know, rather than camping like you do on some treks or rather than staying in hotels like you might in villages and other places. So Nepal has a really interesting culture of these of these small guest houses in the mountains. Yeah. Any any advice or thoughts about what people should expect with uh, staying in tea houses on and what that's like? Well, um, Nepal's original trekking 
started uh, you know as a camping trek in in 17 in 80s a lot of camping trek used to happen because there was not many small tea houses or guest houses built along the trekking trails in 80s or even early 90s but from late 90s a lot of people start investing and also the locals are inspired to build small guest houses or or hotels along the trekking trails and surprisingly many of them are now you even told, I think, or many other trekkers told me that surprisingly, many of the guest houses they think was much simpler. It turned out to be luxury for them. You know, they think it used to be, <laughs> it would be very rough or very difficult. But many of them have a proper bed. Uh, some of, very few of them have a toilet bathroom inside, but many of them have toilet and bathroom outside. But even so, then you get, you know, hot sour or cold sour. Sometimes maybe not hot, but mostly sours are available, running water are available, and Western toilets, some of them. Some of them may not have the Western toilet, but majority of them have a Western toilet. And the foods are amazing. People love the food they serve in those tea houses. And, you know, of course, when you are walking, you are hungry, unless you have some, some other issue with the altitude, you are mostly hungry at the end of the day. So uh, any food will taste good, but they do pre uh, serve pretty good food and a lot of varieties. Yeah. The food was fantastic. I love the food in Nepal. I want to come back to Nepal just for the food. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, we have, there's a lot of ne Nepali or Nepalese restaurants uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area where I live. And so I take my wife to Nepali food all the time now because I loved it so much. I want to have it all the time. <laughs> yeah, the dalbat so, and momos, huh? Exactly, dalbat and, and momos. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. And and I think, you know, the even even when the shower was uh boiling water was hot water in a bucket, yeah, it felt like the best shower I had ever had after a, a long day of hiking. I was that was fine with me. So everything from, you know, fully modern to fully primitive, it all feels good when you're hiking. And it's all a little bit nicer than camping. To me, the guest houses, even though they're very basic, are still uh a nice uh respite from the day on the trail. And the people are wonderful who run them. So they're they're definitely a great experience. Yeah, many of the trekking trails, few of the trekking trails in the Mount, Nepal's mountain, which is comparatively less popular than the other trekking routes, do not have the guest house or tea house facilities. So people have to do the camping trek, which is equally rewarding and, 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 and good experience. It may cost Absolutely. a little more, but those trekking tea houses, majority of the trekking routes now have the trekking tea houses. And they're very comfortable and good. And I used to make uh, the uh, jokes about the running hot water. The running hot water means the guy have a hot water in the bucket and he runs up and down. So that's running hot water. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so one of the things that's interesting, as we've talked a little bit about, is the culture of Nepal. Are there any? Do you have any advice for people who've never been to that part of the world before, who are Westerners, maybe from Europe or the United States, and it's their first time? to Nepal, anything that they should know or, or, or think about that you think would be helpful to people to think about the culture of Nepal? Well, Nepal is a very diverse land. If you look at Nepal's history or, or the culture, uh, we have over 70 different ethnic languages, almost about 70 different ethnic groups. 
and it's very diverse multiple cultures are mixed together in the south we have people uh, looks like indian faces or uh, you know brahmins in the middle hill we have the tamangs and brahmins mixed together in the north if you see uh, very tibetan looking serpa peoples and the mongolian people and then if you look at the kathmandu valley people from the mountain or the south everywhere people from around nepal all move to kathmandu and mix mixer pot you know it's a it's a mixed pot so they do speak different languages they have different festivals nepalis are very relaxed or chillaxing people that they <laughs> always want to have a festivals or songs or or they are you know they are pretty happy people if you look at the index of the world happiness i think in asia we are probably the second happiest people after after bhutan something like that you know very cheerful people as you also probably have noticed yes yes and then people the majority of the people are hindu uh, hindu uh, religion but of course we have also majority people buddhist uh, and then some other other cultures and and religion but we have a very good harmony we have no fights on the name of the caste creed or or the religion we have a very good harmony very friendly people and we celebrate together so uh, multiple uh, you know multi multicultural experiences you can get the food is also different because different people have different culture of eating uh, some people love this food and some people love the other food but they they mix together and so i think coming to nepal the first people always will come to nepal for the mountain to see the views or the mountains and i think second time i think the lonely planet or other guidebooks also wrote the same thing second time most of the time people want to repeat nepal nepal once is not enough that was our tourism slogan anyway <laughs> uh, yeah naturally nepal once is not enough that was our tourism slogan so people will always come back to nepal second time or the third time for the food and the people what do you what can you tell people about what to expect in kathmandu i loved kathmandu but it is a crazy city <laughs> <laughs> yeah kathmandu is a, a very chaotic city it's a very organizedly chaotic city <laughs> It is chaotic but it is working fine. It is uh, running okay. I'd have a lot of issue with the traffic and things like that but at the end of the day you may feel very chaotic or congested at the very beginning uh, but at the end you may start loving it like you said, you know. <laughs> Kathmandu is of course a valley. It is a little bit uh, you know sometimes can be hazy or or foggy but when it rains it is it clears up. Um and it have a uh, people with a different culture and and uh, you know multi ethnical group here but once you go to the mountain then this chaosness gone you know you are totally in a different world um, you know open sky and many stars you can see mountains fresh air uh, then when you are in the mountain you are a completely a different person or a different experience i believe what is the best time of year to come trekking in nepal well many guidebooks Uh, define and many of us also telling now that from end of february to early june or late september to early december are good time to trek in nepal especially people don't go too high in the mountains nepal is good for all season you know okay we can travel nepal for all season if they don't go too high mountains but if they want to trek into the high mountains then december january or early february can have some snow or it can be cold and then of course in the summer like late june july august these are heavy monsoon time so some of the you know trails may be a little bit rainy or flooded or 
actually nowadays we have a lot of trekkers actually from the Middle East who want to send see the rain or or the clouds. So they are coming oh, wow. in, the, in the summer. Uh, but uh, Nepal can be traveled all year around if the, you are not going higher area trekking. But if you are going higher area trekking, then the best time will be late February to early June or late September to early December. And so how do you decide which trek to do? There are so many wonderful treks in Nepal. What should, what should somebody be thinking about in trying to figure out what hike they want to do? Absolutely right. It's a difficult question and it's easy question, both. The reason I'm telling you is that Nepal is beautiful everywhere. Wherever you go, there are beautiful mountains, beautiful people and culture and things like that. So it totally depends on your interest. Do you want to choose a very well-defined crowded trails or or popular trekking routes or do you want to go something a little remote or less people because some good trekking trails are like Everest because people wanted to be on the top on the base camp of at least the tallest mountain on earth Mount Everest many people want to do the Everest base camp hikes which is about 16 days then the other popular trekking routes are the Annapurna which is near Pokhara which is beautiful they'd have a multiple Trekking trials, you can start from five days trek to 25 days if you want to. Uh, then the Manaslu is getting popular, which you have done. It's a beautiful trekking route. And then this is also getting popular. The other one is the Langtang region, which is north of Kathmandu. Uh, these areas, these areas that I just talked, Everest, Annapurna, Langtang and Manaslu have comparatively a little bit better well-defined trials and better trekking tea house facilities. So these are little popular trekking routes. But then we also have many like Helambu routes. We have a PK Peak. We have a Kanchanjanga. We have Mustang, Upper Mustang, which is very similar to Tibet. We have a Dolpo, many other Khaptar area, far western Nepal. These are all very beautiful trekking area too. So depends on if you want to go to the base of the highest mountain on earth, that is Everest. If you want to have a little challenging and diverse land, that is Manaslu. If you want a small, shorter trek and easier and chill out in Pokhara, that is Annapurna. If you want to go like north of Kathmandu, uh, you know, to all the all the way to the base of the mountain closer to the Tibet, that is Langtang. So it is confusing sometimes what to choose, uh, but depends on number of your your days. Then of course number of your uh, amount you want to spend, like number of how much money you want to spend because some trekkers are trekking are a little expensive than the others because of the flights or the logistic they are involved in or the entry entry fees. So it depends on your budget, days, and then of course the interest. Um, so you need to choose. But if you, if you again go to the, our website or any other website like Google or any other, then what, what kind of trek we should choose in Nepal, then they will give you some options. But uh, Nepal is good for a week to three weeks, four weeks, whatever number of days you want to choose to travel. Nepal is good for all, all number of days. But I would not suggest you to come Nepal for a very short time. At least I will say that come for 10 days because otherwise you won't have a great experiences because there are so much to see, so much to experience, so much more food to test. Uh, you know, <laughs> so so 10 days or, or a week or five days will be too short because Nepal is pretty far to travel from any part of the world, as you know. 
Okay, so now I have to ask you the question that's really on my mind. Okay. Because I want to see, I want to come back and I want to bring my wife. Wonderful. Can I do Langtang Valley and also see Bhutan in the same trip? Three, four weeks? Oh, yes. Is that yes. too much? No, yeah. no, that's fine. Langtang is about two weeks. Actually, uh-huh. um, depends on how you do it. If you just do the valley, it can be finished in 10 days. But if you want to do the valley and do another small, beautiful pass, which is 4,600 meter, then you can do it less than two weeks. And then Bhutan can be good for six to 10 days. Bhutan is comparatively very small country comparing to Nepal. Uh, so, so if you have like even three weeks, you can do both. Yes. Sounds perfect. Yeah. So welcome back. That's the, <laughs> do you have, if, before we go, is there any advice you have for trekkers? I wonder, I mean, you've seen so many trekkers over the years and so many things that have probably happened with different kinds of treks. Are there any common mistakes people make or any good advice that most people should know just in general before they come to Nepal? In my personal experience, I think people who want to travel to Nepal will mostly do some research before they come or they are already a good hiker or trekker. They must be already a good hiker. You know, they might have done already several trail hiking in in the US, UK or any other country they are coming from. So I think they know what to expect. They want to go to a higher in the mountain. Nepal's trekking uh, trials are not difficult, but sometimes the, the days can be a little longer, you know. Maybe they have done at home only three hours hike. Uh, in Nepal, some days could be six hours or seven. Uh, so they have to prepare for that and depend on their stamina, depend on their interest, depend on how much weight they want to lose maybe, <laughs> or de- <laughs> yeah. depend on how many yeah. calories they want to burn or how, how much uh, accomplishment they, can, they want to feel, they should choose the trek route for 10 days or 15 days or 20 days. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, any advice for dealing with the altitude on some of the higher passes? Well, of course, sometimes I have a very, sometimes when I have the conversation with the tourist in the email or in the phone, sometimes people want to do too much in a short time. So I would not suggest that. You take the time. You know, this might be the only time you are in the mountain. Enjoy them and observe them and take it easy. So you should have enough days to climatize because if you are not feeling good, you are not enjoying anyway. So you should feel good. So we always do suggest when we are planning the itineraries, we have enough days for climatization. We give enough time for people to climatize so that they can enjoy the beauty, they can enjoy the mountain and scenery, you know, that sort of thing. So they should not be hesitating to ask so many questions before they plan the trip. So, you know, they get the right advice. And then maybe they can also take some recommendation from friends or families, how they find it. Some people, you know, when we say it's a difficult trek, some people find it's, oh, it's easy. You said it's difficult. It wasn't. And some people say it's easy trek. And some people come back and say, oh, it wasn't easy. Easy, You know, it was very tough for me. So <laughs> I can't really tell. Uh, but we can suggest, you know, this many hours, this up and down. So based on that, people can decide. One of the things I saw from some of the um, information on your websites was about um, responsible travel. Yeah. What does that mean to you? And, and how do you see social responsibility and tourism working together? Well, uh, you know, when we are doing the business, we have to be very eth- ethical to the community, to the, to the industry, to the environment, of course, to the universe also. Responsible tourism means for us is that when you are trekking on the trail, you have to be responsible or respected to the, the, the cultures or the people there, number one. 
Number two is, of course, like we we discourage using the plastic bottles. We always use the filter or the tablets, you know, the, the water purifying tablets, that sort of thing. So that save a lot of wastage for the for the environment, you know, plastic bottles and things like that. And then, you know, we also, you know, do not give excessive load to the porters and things like that. We discourage begging or any sort of unethical helping, not any use of the child labor or, or you know, abusive uh, activities on the trek or trail. And then, of course, giving back to the community where we serve, you know, giving back a portion of our profit to the community that we are working, like to the schools or the libraries. And we always help them to be better every day and that is good for the community or the universe overall we have whole world to explore and one world to save anyway rajan one of the things that i have to ask about is the pandemic i'm sure it's been a very tough time for nepal because of the pandemic and its reliance on the tourism industry how has the pandemic affected things and uh, how are things now are they getting better uh, as we maybe see some light at the end of the tunnel now how, how does that look to you? Well, uh, the pandemic uh, started in a very, you know, peak season time for us, actually, in Nepal. Um, you know, I think it started in November something and December, January, February, it started spreading all over the world. And it was uh, new to the world. So everybody was panicking. Everybody was worried. So lockdown started and all this, uh, you know, flights stopped coming um, and people stopped traveling and people started staying home. So people are very bored, I think, I believe. But now... As we go along the one year, many companies have invested in, in the vaccines and the, uh, the disease is known to the people, known to the human. Of course, they are changing their forms again. <laughs> but, uh, but I think we are a little familiar with, with this disease now. So I think people are start getting less scared and they wanted to get out of home and travel somewhere. They want to feel the fresh air. You know, they don't want to stay all the time at one place. So I think the traveling trend will now start. But of course, people have to have a confidence. Uh, the international border and flight have to start in many, many countries, which is, you know, slowly happening. And in Nepal also, we start welcoming the tourists. So this week also, we have few few tourists arriving. Next month also, we have few tourists arriving. So people who come to Nepal have a very good experience. They've gone back home, you know, very happily. So they are, but a small number. But like you said, of course, the pandemic for a year affected Nepal's tourism a lot. And, uh, and then, of course, our business also affected a lot. And it was very hard. But slowly, we are picking up. And hopefully... Uh, you know, people will start traveling again by 2022, 2023, and then from onwards, unless we have another disaster or pandemic coming, uh, which can happen, we are hoping that the tourism will start reviving and everything will go smooth and uh, we'll be freely traveling again. Rajan, I hope that for you too, and for Nepal and for all of us. And I look forward to being able to come back to Nepal in the very near future. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me and giving me opportunity to share uh, my experience um, to, the, to the world, to the trekkers, to the people who want to hike. And of course, together, we want to make the planet better. Thank you. Thanks again to Rajan Simkata. I hope Rajan has inspired you to think about doing a trek in Nepal. 
And on our next episode, we will talk about one of the best, the Manaslu Circuit and Sum Valley. This amazing trek travels around the eighth highest peak in the world. It's lesser known and less traveled than the most famous treks in Nepal like Annapurna and Everest Base Camp, but it really is fantastic, and maybe even more so. And it includes a side trip up the mystical Tsum Valley, almost to the border with Tibet. When all is said and done, this trip travels around 200 kilometers, or about 130 miles, through some of the most beautiful mountains on Earth, through villages only accessible by trail. It passes monasteries and farms. You stay in cozy tea houses that serve homemade Nepalese food as you travel from village to village on trails that are the only means of connecting these villages. So on the next episode of Trails Worth Hiking, we'll see what it looks like to put into practice everything that Rajan talked about on this episode as we travel the Manaslu Circuit and visit the Tum Valley in the Himalayas of Nepal. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode, or ideas for future episodes, please reach out to me at trailsworthhiking at gmail.com. So start planning your next hike, and before you know it, you'll be on the trail. Thanks for listening. <music>